I've never changed any of the four. We have an early deadline mm -hmm. that you make picks, and then there's an update. Mm -hmm. And today was the day you had to submit your picks for the update. I had to submit my picks last week. So my picks last week, I had Messier number one, Zandon number two, Taba number three, Epicenter number four. I've never changed my original picks for that wager guide in over 20 years till this year. There were these two racing dudes named Aaron and Jared who had to buy some racing and they wanted to share it. Started a website where players go to see all their picks. The goal was make the fans some money and to cut down the risk. They put the plan into motion and at first it seemed silly. Make a website where the expert picks are freer than Willie. From a racetrack better into just a beginner. There's one place that you want to go to find you a winner. As a matter of fact, I want to hit the exacta. There's only one site that you'll keep coming back to. So next time that the horses all line up at the post, make sure you use the website that'll win you the most. Whether Churchill, Oakland, Goldstream Parks, and Matoga, and all tracks in between, there's only one site to go to. When it comes to your racing needs and all of your bets, plus it's got a catchy name that no one ever forgets. RacingDudes.com for all of your needs. RacingDudes.com for all of your leads. RacingDudes.com for all of your bets, racingdudes.com, as good as it gets, racingdudes.com, for all of your needs, racingdudes.com, for all of your leads, racingdudes.com, for all of your bets, racingdudes.com, as good as it gets. What is up, I'm Jared Welch, he's Aaron Halterman, it is officially Kentucky Derby week, this is Blinkers Off, what's up guys? What's up, yeah, Halterman? What's up? We're here. We're here, man. This we is finally awesome. made it the week. I'm a man. I'm I'm anxious. I'm more anxious this year than I've ever been, to be completely honest. Um, I, I I can't sit here and say I'm more excited because I was so excited for American Pharaoh and Justify. Like I was jumping out of my skin. I just knew they were going to win. This one, I'm I'm anxious. I'm super jacked, but I, I don't have like that strong confidence. But I do have confidence that who I'm going to bet is going to pay more than they probably should. And so it's a little bit of nervous energy this year instead of that whole, well, we got this type of feeling. So I, I'm very excited to have our guest on today. Maybe help me determine between these two horses that I'm trying to pick as we see. Yeah, right I was going to say, I haven't made my final picks. I, you know, uh, that's why you know, I tell people they're asking me, I'm like, well, we interviewed John on Tuesday. So then yep. I'll, I'll let you know who, uh, yep. who I end up on. So no, um, yeah, it's obviously it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, we have to, you have, you can't have the Kentucky Derby without interviewing John. Um, but yeah, I texted you guys yesterday. Uh, I was just like, you know what? I can't remember a year at least. Yeah. I mean, I agree with the Pharaoh stuff and, and justify, but like it just, I, I think maybe it is because the horse I like horses I like are such good value. And it's just, I'm just, I'm nerd. Like I had got this kind of lump in my stomach, you know, I'm just, it, it's, I, I'm excited, and, you know, in the last couple of years of, you know, of course you had, you know, 2020, which was a mess and then 2021, which was different in the sense, not many people were there still. And then it just feels like we're kind of back to normal and a, a, a field that you have favorites that maybe shouldn't be that low price. You're going to try to beat them. And there's some, it seems like a rather good field, not to mention the Oaks. It's a great race as well the entire Friday, Saturday. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really remember, at least in recent history, where I've been more kind of jacked up in terms of just I'm ready to get there, I'm ready to start betting, I'm ready to, you know, like it's going to be 
I, I'm feeling it. And if you're not feeling it, I don't know something's wrong with you. Well, follow a different sport, I guess. Right. If you're yeah. not feeling it right now. No, I, I agree. Like I said, it's this nervous energy. I'm, I'm hyper, you know, I just, I'm bouncing off the walls right now. Uh, I, I, I'm ready for this race to be run. You know, the, the draw, we made so much of it. And it's like, yeah, that didn't really help narrow it down too much. They all draw pretty well. So anyway, this is this is an exciting show every year. And I, I'm, I'm looking extra forward to it this year. All right. Let's not waste any time of, like of us talking because who cares, right, about what, <laughs> what, we, what we have to say. Um, today's show. It's right. It's time. John White, the annual... Kentucky Derby, John White interview. John White does the morning line, Sansonita, Del Mar. He, of course, does the Breeders' Cup when it's out there as well. He's been in the game longer than most of you have been alive. He's going to give us thoughts on the 2022 Kentucky Derby, uh, including some of his strongest bets, uh, favorite long shots, all that good stuff. I mean, you don't want to make one single bet until you listen to this podcast right now. Let's go! What is up, John? How's it going? Great to be with you guys. It's a tradition like no other. You have the men juleps, the singing of my old Kentucky home, and now we have my appearance with you dudes. By the way, your whole team, you and your whole team have done a really super job with a lot of information leading up, and you'll continue to do so. But really, I've been watching and listening and uh, so- the thing I've really appreciated is when the four of you get on and go back and forth, because it reminds me of my early days in the game, that, for instance, my father, my late father, and myself, and usually a friend of his, or maybe two, we would drive out of town to go to the races, uh, and we would stay at a motel, and we would have our racing forms, and we would handicap. And then that evening, the evening before we would go to the track, we would have a round table very similar to you guys. And I'm telling you, it was educational. It's part of my education for this game all those years, handicapping, listening to other people's perspective and everything. And the back and forth with you guys, that has been really excellent. Uh, You know, so I, I really applaud you guys for that. Wanted to point out a couple of things before we get going. Uh, as I showed you guys earlier, up there, right over there, <laughs> is a little next to that painting, which that painting, by the way, is it's a print of a Munnings. You've heard of Munnings. <laughs> that's, that's a Munnings. Uh, and to the side of the Munnings, that's a, a little plaque with a little slice of a wire. And it's a slice of the actual... Con- Churchill Downs finish line wire that went across the track above the finish line. So when Secretariat went under that, Seattle Slough affirmed, you know, everybody up to 1994, they discontinued it in 1994. So that was the first year they took that down. They never put it back. But Churchill was smart. They sold this to people. And my father, my late father, bought one of those and like for a birthday present, presented that to me. So that's there. So very appropriate for the Kentucky Derby. My wife has a Kentucky Derby glass collection that goes clear back into the early 70s. And we have this year's already here on the buffet. So <laughs> I'm ready to go for the 2020 Kentucky Derby. And Jared, you said, you know, how long I've been in this game. 
I didn't quite make it for Leon Leonidas in eighteen eighty three. <laughs> the last horse to win the Kentucky Derby with only two races under his belt. And if Taba does it, he'll be the first horse to ever win the Kentucky Derby with only two races under his belt and did not run as a two-year-old. And just as a little background on that, that's kind of interesting. Leonidas won that race. This was a really good horse. He lost his first career start. He finished second as a two-year-old. And then he was 10 for 10, all stakes races as a three-year-old. 10 for 10. <laughs> I mean, and in the Kentucky Derby, the horse he beat, the runner-up, was trained by the guy that trained Apollo. You heard of Apollo. Mm -hmm. We all know the Apollo curse that Justify broke. Justify became the first Kentucky Derby winner since 1882, who hadn't raced as a two-year-old. And that trainer of Apollo, if it hadn't been for this, Leonidas would have had back-to-back -back Kentucky Derby wins. So, and by the way, one other uh, tidbit on Leonidas. You know, it's the tradition to put the roses on a horse in the winter circle after the race. Well, that putting the roses on the horse didn't start until 13 years after Leonidas. And what happened when Leonidas won it, they had a, a, a bouquet of roses to present to the winner. And Leonidas ate the roses. <laughs> <laughs> so you've heard of winning the roses, but come on, eating the roses? <laughs> That's the last thing I thought you were going to say right there. <laughs> We just need to. It's part of what makes the Kentucky Derby the history. And yeah. it's part of what makes racing, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, it's like baseball, you know, the history of baseball or, or any. But there's such history associated with this sport of thoroughbred racing. And uh, of course, the Kentucky Derby has so much of it. I mean, so it, it's so rich in history. And, and uh, as a historian, of course, I just thrive on that. But uh, so you find out these things. And, uh, but let's get right to who I like. <laughs> well, it, it is interesting that you, that you, that, that you found a way to tie the Taba and justify, <laughs> you know, in, in some regards. So let, you know, let's talk about obviously Taba, the two California, you're out in California, you know, these horses very well, Taba and Messier, very good value here. And I know you and I, of course, we're Team Taba. We've we've been for a while. We've been, you know, we we have some ownership in the horse, and uh, you know, we we so we were on Taba. Messier is another horse. Obviously, you were on before Taba. Are you back to Messier? Where are you at now? Because the the value in this race with these two horses in particular is insane. Well, let me start by saying that this, and you guys were alluding to this earlier uh, when you first came on, this particular edition of the run for the roses is so competitive. We don't have an American Pharaoh secretariat. Now, I will say this, if there is one in this race, who is it? It's Taba. Mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. the only one of these 20 horses that has the potential at this point to be a super horse, to be a superstar. Messier could be a Kentucky Derby winner. Epicenter could be a Kentucky Derby winner. 
Zandon can be a Kentucky Derby winner. Moldonagal can be a dead. These are all horses that certainly can be. Taba not only could be a Kentucky Derby winner, he could be a four-footed LeBron James, a four-footed Tom Brady. Really? Yeah. Because I'm going to tell you right now, if he pulls this off, it is so mind-boggling to go from a six-furlong maiden win on March 5th at Santa Anita to the grade one Santa Anita Derby at nine furlongs, six furlongs to nine furlongs, and then win the grade one historic Kentucky Derby at 10 furlongs in your third career start. I mean, but you know what? I was real. he was number one on my top 10 after the Santa Anita Derby. Messier had been number one for nine straight weeks going into the Santa Anita Derby. And then partly because of this workout situation with Taba and how good Messier has looked. And Messier, look, he's got more of the traditional what you're looking for for the Kentucky Derby. He does. It's, it's clear. But Taba could be that super horse. And so when I had to decide, do I stick with Messier, who I moved back into number one last week, or do I flop again and go to <laughs> And it gets very tricky. I can tell you two dudes that I've been making picks in the express bet wagering guide for like over 20 years. I've never changed any of the four. We have an early deadline mm-hmm. that you make picks, and then there's an update. Mm-hmm. And today was the day you had to submit your picks for the update. I had to submit my picks last week. So my picks last week, I had Messier number one, Zandon number two, Taba number three, Epicenter number four. I've never changed my original picks for that wager guide in over 20 years till this year, <laughs> barring a scratch. Now, obviously, if they're different, <laughs> I would change. Yeah. But I can here's the way I looked at it. If I pick Messier, if if I pick Taba and Messier wins, I can live with that. You know, I I pick Taba. I was hoping maybe he maybe it's partly with my heart more than my head. So I could live with that. It is a but if I pick Messier and Taba wins, I feel crappy. Because I'm sitting there going, how can I? And when you all you had, all I had to do is keep going back and watching the stretch run of the Sand Anita Derby. Yep. And it isn't like Taba barely got up. <laughs> I mean, he motored by now. Messier should move up off of that race. He'd been off two months, and the way he's trained, I think he will move up. But look at those thoroughbred numbers. Taba gets a minus half. And the lower, the better with the thoroughbreds. And to me, the thoroughbreds are better than the buyers. But the buyers are good. They're an excellent tool. Listen, I was in racing long before the buyers. All we had were the daily racing form speed ratings. And those were hardly relevant. (laughs) And my dad would say, these things aren't worth much. So remember how I said we would sit around in the motel and do our handicapping? 
my dad would say one of the first things, well, this horse just ran in 89. I go, you've been telling me these numbers don't mean anything, and now you're telling me you like the horse because he got an 89. Well, they don't really mean much, but he got an 89. So, you know, you, it's who's... Now, before I go on, I want Aaron to bring up something I thought was very interesting when I was watching yesterday. Mm -hmm. I don't look at the time form, but I have respect for time form. I Look, I when I was in going to the races in, in France and uh, Ireland and England in 1984 at Newmarket, the Cura, and Longchamp for the Arc, you, time form was like gold. You didn't have a racing form. So that, believe me, I'm a big believer in time form. And so I respect time form. So Aaron, what you said about the time form numbers in this race, I think is one of the most relevant points for this race. Yeah, so yeah, basically, so here's the deal. Here's why I love Timeform. I'll, I'll do that, number one. I, I, I really respect Craig Mikalski, the guy who makes the Timeform numbers. We follow him on Twitter. He tweets out a lot of great information. And is one number better than the other? It's up for debate. But the one thing I know and trust about him is he's putting in the work to make the numbers, and I, I can respect that. So I do really like Craig. Anyway, uh, with Messier and Taba, they both have run 124 time form numbers. That's their highest number. That's good enough to win 11 out of the 18, last 18 Kentucky Derbies. Some of the losses were Justify, American Pharaoh, you know, great horses. Barbaro was on the list. Really Hall of Fame horses or Triple Crown winning horses. Uh, and then when you look at Zandon, he has a number good enough to win one out of the last 18 and then you look at Epicenter, he doesn't have a number good enough to win any of the last 18. So for me, John, I looked at that and said, we got a horse that's three to one. We got a horse that's seven to two. They, combined, they've been able to win one of the last 18 Kentucky Derbies. And we got an eight to one and a 12 to one that's been able to win 11 out of the 18, uh, last 18 Kentucky Derbies. That's how I narrowed it down to two, just that simple. And I've pretty much narrowed it down to two, although, like I say, I think this derby goes deep. To me, you've got, for me, it's kind of a big four. Taba, Messier, who I'm picking second. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities for those two to run one-two again, honestly. Because going in, to me, they are the two fastest horses. So why would it be impossible for them to run one-two again? Yep. Now, what are the chances of that? You know, probably it won't happen, but I'm saying it is possible. That wouldn't like shock me. Zandon, I have third, Epicenter, fourth, but beyond that, like my next six horses on my top 10, all six to me have credentials, and they're not that far away on the numbers. There's not like this big gap. You know, these horses are pretty well bunched. Whatever numbers you're using, there's not like a, a canyon's worth of dis distance on these. And then even besides the next six for my top 10, there's three horses to me that I think like aren't impossible to win this race too. So out of the 20, to me, I can make a case for at least 13 of them that is a case that isn't wacky, that they could win the race. So, and this is the type of derby that I think, you know, could lend itself to an upset. On the other hand, Let's look at how recent Kentucky Derbies have been won. In the last 10 years, 
seven of the 10 winners were horses that came from California with that California speed. I shouldn't say winners, horses that finish first. <laughs> but for, for us betters, if you're a horse player, who won the 2021 Kentucky Derby? Medina Spirit. Yep. That's who cashed. That's what matters to us is, you know, did I cash my ticket or not? And if you bet Medina Spirit, you cash your ticket. If you bet Mandaloon to win, you did not cash your ticket. So for me, we're focusing, and it makes more sense to focus on the horse who did reach the finish line first. So seven of the last ten had come from California. And look look at the nine, you know, you go back to Oro. In the last 13 years since the points system, 12 years in a row since Oro, we've had horses that were on the pace or just off the pace. This to me is the problem for horses like Bodonigal or maybe even Zandon. Now Zandon's a little bit of a question mark to me because I'm not convinced he's a stone cold come from way backer. He might have a little more speed and you know, he could maybe sit fairly close. I wouldn't rule that out. He's improving so much again. You look at his numbers and <clears throat> Look at his buyers, 80, 90, 93, 98. I mean, what a beautiful pattern. And the same in the thoroughbred. Again, the thoroughbred, you want the lower. He goes six and a half, four and a half, two and a quarter, one and a half. And that one and a half is important because Taba has the best number, minus a half. And look, I know that Jared feels this way. Who's the most talented horse in the race? At least that we feel right now. It is Taba. Look at his his speed figures tell you that. What he achieved historically tells us that. So Taba has a minus half, and in his debut he got a two. Messier got a half when he won by fifteen in the Lewis, and a half, uh, one and a half, I should say, a one and a half and a one and a half. By the way, Messier's Lewis originally was a one, and Thoroughbred rarely adjusts their numbers. Buyers do it more often. That was originally a one. The only other one in this whole group that has anything under a two is White Barrio, and I'm a little suspicious of his one in the Florida Derby. He came home very slow in that race. So, you know, but Thoroughgraph emphasizes a lot of elements why they're better than the buyers, such as wind even and uh, how much ground you lost. And, you know, buyers are more just kind of cut and dry. There's more elements involved in a thoroughbred. And that's why their numbers are stronger to me. So, but that, and the thing about a buyer or a thoroughbred or a time form or a, the old Bailey Racing Form speed rating you got to all look, look at them, you know, with a grain of salt. And when you think they might be a little off, for instance, in the case of uh, Taba, in his buyers, he got, you know, uh, in the uh, his debut, a 103. And then he got a 101 that was upgraded to a, a 102. By the way, Aaron, you mentioned Craig Mikoski of... Uh, time for him. Mm -hmm. he, that guy we owe a debt to because he keeps an eye on this timing of these mm -hmm. races, which is so important. And here we are in 2022 and putting 
you know, rovers on Mars and everything, and we can't time thoroughbred races. <laughs> I yep. mean, I, I'm just baffled by, that this is that hard, you know. I mean, yep. I, if you watch the Olympics, they tell you if it's a world record before the, the swimming event or the running event is over. They're going, hey, it looks like it might be a world record. Hey, it's a world record. Racing, you don't even know if it's a record, if the time's right or whatever. And then we wonder why, you know, we're not regarded as one of the major sports. You know, that's kind of embarrassing, quite frankly. Yep. But Craig is just like a, like a, you know, a bulldog on that and has gotten a lot of times corrected. But as far as uh, Taba, he got the 103 in his debut, then a 102. And I questioned the 102. As I pointed out in my expressbet.com column, there were many... Santa Anita Derbies in the last, say, 20 years, in which the winner ran a slower time than Taba, but got a much higher buyer, or a higher buyer, but some of them much higher. You're going to tell me the track was that radically different or whatever? So I look at, and here again, I wrote that before I knew what his thoroughbred was. So I was questioning the 102 right away, once I compared it to the history of buyers in the Santa Anita Derby. And I feel vindicated in my skepticism because of the fact that on the third graph, he did improve off his debut. He went from a two to a minus half. And that's a huge, that's not like moving. In buyers, that would be like maybe 10 points or something, mm -hmm. not two or whatever. That's a quantum jump or you know, you can't jump, I guess, jump backwards. He jumped backwards. <laughs> He's getting a lower number. Those lower numbers, I love it when all those Thorograph and Regazin guys, they love this phrase. He got a new top. Well, if, if you're graphing it and the lowest is the better, how is that the, the top? <laughs> he actually got a new bottom. <laughs> but they all say, hey, he got a new top. Well, that's incongruous to, their, to the way they make their figures. So keep that in mind the next time you hear a guy. They love it. All those all those sheets guys. He got a new top or that, you know. No, it wasn't. How could a one be a new top versus a four? <laughs> right? So never thought of that. The thing, that's the thing about Taba is to me, not and he's the only horse in the race with more than, you know, a, a one a single triple digit buyer. Mm -hmm. The only other one's the 103 by Messier. Now Messier's 103, I think, is better than Taba's 103. Why? Well, because Taba's was in a six furlong dating sprint. Messier's was in a graded stakes race at a mile and a sixteenth. So which 103 is more relevant to the Kentucky Derby? Mm -hmm. Certainly Messier's. Mm -hmm. But see. To me, I'm looking at that 102 by Taba and saying that to me is more like maybe a 105, a 106, a 107, quite possibly, based on the history of uh, the Santa Anita Derby buyers. But the point is that Thoroughbred had Taba improving. Buyers have him regressing a notch. And when you watch the two races, I mean, look, Taba looked impressive in his first race. But that Santa Anita Derby to run to, and look at how far those two. Now I know there wasn't much in the race, although I know that uh, Jared got 
Happy Jack in the draft today. That you <laughs> yeah, don't 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 sleep on Happy Jack, guys. Okay, I'm, I'm really high on this horse. He's very excited about Happy Jack. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, you know these are the th- now Taba. So he's got the speed figures, and the thing is now, what about the workout? In the only one workout. Here's another thing that people sometimes, you know, we're so focused into all of this stuff, the post position. Wow. Now let's look at epicenter. Epicenter drew post three. And people are going, oh, is that good? Is it bad? A lot of people. Well, first of all, and they said, it's a good thing he didn't get the one or the two. Well, if the one modonical scratches or the two scratches, he'll be in the one or the two. You're sitting there happy that he got the three and he might not even break from the three. See, my point is these things can change. Now, it's true that Yakteen said that Taba would, you know, he, he I'm going to give him one workout between the two. I want him fresh. I, I don't, I want the tank to be as full as it can. And that concerns me a little bit because you also need him, you know, like fit enough and everything for that mile and a quarter you know, when you're worried and you're not, you're backing off the training a little bit, that concerns me. The minute I saw that, it worried me a little bit. And the history tells you of the record of horses that have had a race a month before the Kentucky Derby with only one workout. It's only two horses in the last many years, and they neither one ran a jump. But they weren't the same caliber of talent of table. So that's a little irrelevant to me, too, you know. That those horses only had one more. Taba's a little different ball game here. And the thing about Taba is, and Yakteen, he came out in the Santa Anita stable notes over the weekend that Ed Golden writes and made the point. In fact, I, I, I wanted to make sure I got this right, that uh, he said that, uh, you know, here it is. I'll play it by ear and see what I want to do in terms of the training for both Taba and SEA. And this was last weekend that he's saying this. And he says it was a perfectly scripted drill for Taba. And the thing about Taba, he isn't that good of a workhorse. Now, he certainly was good enough once to work like 10 and 1 and have a super gallop out to fetch a bid of $1.7 million. So it isn't like he's never had a good workout because p- part of him selling for 1.7 million was his workout. So, mm-hmm. but I will admit, I think he is kind of one of those practice. He's not a practice horse. He is a game day horse. I mean, I re- and there are horses like that. I mean, there, you know, there, there are, there's been a number of really good horses. I'll give you an example right off the top of my head as I'm talking about this. Buck Passer in the 1960s, he would, in a race, take the lead and really, he'd, he'd just put his feet down and like almost prop. He'd almost stop. One of the greatest races, if you go to YouTube, and I urge you two and anyone else seeing us to go to YouTube and look up Buck Passer in the Flamingo Stakes. It's a video that you, your jaw will drop, I promise you. Because they call it the chicken flamingo because they took off 
it was like a field of 12 or 13 or 14. And they, they had like wind wagering only because Buck Passer looked like such a cinch. And they were saying, what a, what a chicken racetrack that you don't even offer place or show. And you got 12 or 13 or 14 horses. When you watch the race, Buck Passer comes on and takes the lead. And then I, I'll tell you, at least 10 horses go by him. Maybe more, but at least 10 in the stretch. And he won. And that's what I mean by a horse that now there I have seen video of them trying to work Buck Passer at Santa Anita when he was a four-year-old. And he was so in a work, he was so difficult to work. If he worked him alone, he wouldn't work like he he it's practice. I'm not gonna work. What are you talking about? It's not game day. <laughs> so what they had to do, and if he worked with one horse, he was so superior to the horse that he would quickly open up on the horse and shut it down like in a race. So how do you work a horse like that? And what they did was try to set up two or three other horses around the track stationed as relays. And Buck Passer would start off and he'd pull away from the first guy and by then he'd be up to the second guy. And so he'd try to catch him and then and so on. And the thing, oh, look at this, well done. <laughs> So I'm telling, look at how many horses are in that race. And I'm telling you, Buck Passer had the lead at the top of the stretch. You wouldn't want to have a show bet on him. And he comes back on and wins this race. That's him down on the rail in the, in the fifth silks. Look at, you don't even think he's going to no win. No way. Look. Oh my god! That's unbelievable. Okay, I gotta watch them go back. Yeah, I no, thought it was can... I thought it was a horse on the outside. The I whole did time. too. I'm te I'm telling you guys, this is this is. Wait, where is he at? Is he in the lead here? Well, look for the fifth silks, the black with okay. the red cap. You know, the same personal ensign silks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Information, easy goer. Yep. Those are the silks. So you know, it's it's there so small, it's difficult to see, but. Uh, Look, just from the 16 pull home, you can see what I mean. You wouldn't have wanted to bet, have a, you know, win bet on him. Look, you think this horse in front's a cinch. If you had live betting, you'd be broke after this. Because even here, the horse in front looks like he's going to win. Oh, that's incredible. Wow. <laughs> so That's crazy. That's you know, this is what I mean about table. You don't want to be too harsh on him when that's kind of his modus operandi. That he he's gonna try to catch a horse, which like he did with Messier. You know, he and the thing about Taba that's pretty cool to me is how he's got that gun runner way of going. That you, you're looking at him go. And then he sees a horse and he just puts his head down and finds another gear. I mean, he's like the second coming of Gunrunner in, in that respect. So again, that, that mitigates some of this business with his workouts. But the main point I wanted to make in terms of these workouts is this. And that is, they, you know, Yakteen, and Yakteen set this in motion by saying, I'm going to give him one workout. But then last weekend, he says, I'll play it by ear. What's that saying? I'm not locked in here. That, that's what I'll play it by ear means. And what I mean by that is, 
He also said that because Taba's work was a day before Messier's, I might breeze him in Kentucky or let him stretch his legs. So he might have two workouts before the Kentucky. It's not impossible. And look, guys, back in the day, and I mean way back in the day, horses, unlike today, had what was typically referred to as a blowout, like the day before or two days before a race, and even sometimes the day of the race. And in terms of the Kentucky Derby, in 1958, the popular stretch runner, Silky Sullivan, who early in his three-year-old year came from 41 lengths behind in a six-and-a-half furlong race at Santa Anita and won. He ran in the Kentucky Derby, but he, he just, it was a muddy track. He didn't like it. And more than that, he just wasn't like in the same league, truthfully, as Tim Tam from the powerful Calumet Farm. But that morning, he worked three furlongs. Eight o'clock in the morning of the Kentucky Derby, Silky Sullivan worked three furlongs. Now, when's the last time you saw a horse work three furlongs the day of the race? Even the day before the race, even two days before the race. Yeah. yeah. But that could happen with Tava here. He could have a quarter mile little work that doesn't even get recorded. So I'm saying sometimes we make mountains out of these things that are really can be molehills. And uh, by the way, that Silky Sullivan race where he came from six and a half furlongs behind, that was the first time Bill Shoemaker ever rode him. And I talked to Bill Shoemaker, his agent, Harry Silbert. Uh, Reggie Cornell, the trainer, had passed before I came to California, so I didn't get a chance to talk to him. But I asked you, I said, what do you remember about that race? And he says, well, I was like a sixteenth of a mile behind the next to last horse. You know, I didn't think I was, I says, I didn't think I could hit the board. And he comes, that's another one that's on tape, by the way, that you can find at YouTube. That's another one. And you know, the guy that took that tape, Joe Burnham, who was at my wedding in 1983 at the Santa Church across from Santa Anita, Joe Burnham, he uh, is the guy that saved a lot of this. He had, he's the responsible for that buck passer tape we just watched that's from joe burnham and he without him we would have lost a lot of video history of this game including that sulky sullivan race and when he when you look at the tape of that sulky sullivan race you you, you as they're heading to the far turn there's a horse that you think is last and you go how does he win from there and then joe pans further back like a 16th of a mile and here's this horse running and you're going this is Guys, this is one of the few times that you know the result of a race and you're looking and you go, there's no way he can win. <laughs> you know he wins and you're going, he, there's no way. And he wins. And the, my favorite part of that is I, in interviewing Shoemaker's a, agent, Harry Silbert, because I said, what do you remember about that race? And he says, I was sitting in the box seats with the trainer. And he says, we both had our binoculars out and we're watching in the six and a half furlong shoot. Remember, this is Shoemaker's first time he's riding the horse. And they, they come down out of the chute, and this horse, like I say, behind, he's maybe a furlong behind the leader. He's like an eighth of a mile last, 41 lengths. And 
these guys are watching in their binoculars and the trainer says to the agent i told the kid not to rush him but this is ridiculous (laughs) 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 oh gosh that's one of the best things i've ever had somebody tell me in in, ever so so that's the thing about this table situation so and then we go to the jockeys who else do you want in this race? Who's won the Derby the most times of anybody riding in this race? Johnny V. Or who's won it the most, second most, twice? Mike Smith. So that's another thing, these two. And that's the thing to me. I, you know, like I say, I may pick Taba and Messi wins, I'll, you know, and I'll have to just say, well, but to me, it is very much an either or as far as just who I like to win the race, but I have much respect for Zandon. I respect, look, this epicenter, people use the phrase, he checks all the boxes. How, how he does. <laughs> He's one at a mile on the 360. And I was not on his bandwagon till he raided. Mm-hmm. And in that Louisiana, and he did it so nicely that, you know, that's key that he, if, if he hadn't done that, I, I wouldn't have him in my four if he hadn't done that. And look, I got him in number four. It wouldn't shock me if he goes favored. And it wouldn't shock me if he wins, certainly uh, at all. You know, one thing about the numbers, I just wanted to touch on before we moved on, um, that I think is interesting and just to bring home your point, is when you look at that performance from Epicenter, he got a one, I believe it was a 102 that day in that mm-hmm. uh in that race. And he got a two and a half thoroughgraph. Taba got a 102 in the Santina Derby and got a negative half. That's right. Well, as I've said, I question the 102. See, to me that you know, I've talked to you guys a lot that the buyers to me it would behoove them to have a plus. You know where I got that concept? Time form. When you look at time form in Europe and they give you ratings for a horse, for a horse that may have potential off of their rating, they put a plus. And to me, the buyers would be so much more effective for horses that either win, you know, with much in the tank, you know, that, that you can tell. They, they, they were far from all out. You know, in other words, what is better? A 90 buyer with a horse that's all out or a 90 buyer where he's far from all out. That's a big difference. Mm -hmm. And to me, they would help their buyers if they put a plus by that. Or if the horse had an extremely wide trip, put a plus by it. So to me, now I will say the thoroughgraph, they have little notations and they will put an H next to it. And that means like, he had, you know, something in reserve. So they're trying to do what I've advocated that the buyers do. And you don't see it often. And we don't see it all that often. When you watch all the races we watch on a day in and day out basis, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, and you guys will learn decade in, decade <laughs> out, is the fact that, uh, you know, you, you don't want to overdo that. But it would be helpful for the people but see, I consider those things advantages. You know, before we had buyers and numbers, you know, it was more of an advantage to me that I had over people just in terms of 
you know, that they didn't have that kind of edge over me in having the, the speed figures, you know. Like, I was a trip guy originally, and now that I was a trip guy with racing where you didn't have the finest jockeys in the country, to say the least, or the finest horses. And where I grew up, it was the five-eighths oval bullring. And believe me, when they went into that first turn, I used to sometimes watch the races at the first turn. And the yelling and screaming and the whatever you would hear, I mean, it was, a lot of times I'd close my eyes, quite frankly, because that turn on that five-eighths track was actually a half-mile turn because the track originally was a half mile that they enlarged, but they kept the turns the same. So you, you elongated it, but unlike Los Alamitos, when it was strictly a five eighths track, it had five eighths turns. Boise, where I was a steward at, where Gary Stevens first kind of really, you know, was on the map, had, you know, not sharp turns. That, that was a six furlong rule. And, uh, Pomona was when I first came to Southern California in the early 1980s. It was a half mile that they did, like at the track of my hometown, they enlarged but kept the half mile turn. So, you know, and that's one thing about horses that to me, even with the Kentucky Derby guys, is a, a horse that can make a move on the turn is something, you know, we talk about my strike system. One of the keys to that is a horse that's going to be first or second with an eighth of a mile to go. And uh, Jared, you did, you know, a video on Charge It saying he's the one horse you don't feel will, you know, he is a horse that you feel will not win. Mm -hmm. And I certainly am of that ilk from the standpoint that there's only been one, I, my strike system, I developed it in 1999. And then I retroactively checked out how it looked to 1973, but because some of my categories deal with graded stakes, I can't go further back than 1973 because that was the first year of graded stakes. And the way the system works, there's eight categories. And when you don't qualify in the category, you get a strike. Well, the vast majority of horses, you know, 83% going back to 1973 have had zero strikes or one. Now there've been seven exceptions since going back to 1973. That's not many, but there've been seven exceptions to have two strikes one horse had more than two mind that bird now you say are you upset that mind that bird won no you say why my pick in the race was pioneer of the nile i bet a thousand dollars to win on pioneer of the nile he was six to one he had the lead at the top of the stretch i was sitting in the hrtv studio next to the trainer's wife of Taba and Messier, Millie Ball. Mm -hmm. And she said, who is that? Meaning, mind that bird. <laughs> I said, I have no idea, because I was watching Pioneer of the Nile. And then we figured out it was mind that bird. So I lost a $1,000 bet. That's, it would have been 6000 But you know what? That morning before Millie Ball came on, I was on set with Kurt Hoover. Kurt said, what are you going to do in the Derby today? I said, I'm going to bet $1,000 on Pioneer of the Nile. He says, you know what you should do instead of that? 
you know how often we get these weirdo winners that pay big in the Kentucky Derby? And I said, yeah, because at that time, that was the case. We've had so many favorites lately. You forget how the mindset was at that time. You, you know, favorites were like you were the first horse you almost threw out. <laughs> and it wasn't like Pioneer of the Nile was the favorite. He was six to one. He said, you should back wheel Pioneer of the Nile and the Exacta instead of the thousand. Or in addition, you know, cut it in half or whatever. But he didn't even finish his sentence. And I thought, you know what? He's got a point. So I bet the exact a dollar exacta. It's the only exacta I bet. And listen, I've been going to the races for over 50 years. I have back wheeled one horse in the exacta one time <laughs> that day. And it was Pioneer of the Nile. Ten one dollar exactas. Well, it paid $1,000 for a dollar. <laughs> so I lost the bet to make me $6,000, and I made $10,000. <laughs> now you say, well, did you do anything for Kurt since he played a role in that? Well, yes, I did. We went to Vegas, had a great time, lived it up. I paid for his airfare, his hotel, his meals, and everything. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's a case of... Uh, you know, where sometimes you can lose and still win yeah. in this game. Holy <laughs> hell, I can only imagine that. I didn't. I don't think I know that story. Uh, I that, that uh, how you know most people you know freaking out, and you're sitting there thinking, "This is this horse is fifty to one." Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, and I don't have a clue what the exact is going to pay. So I thought, well, maybe what's it going to pay? A couple hundred? No. For a two dollar exacta, because that's in the chart, it says two dollars. It's two thousand something. <laughs> Holy! And I didn't, you know, that's another thing in racing. Now, see how stupid is that? You could bet a one dollar exacta, but in the chart it says the two dollar payoff. <laughs> so you would assume that was the lowest you could play. See, there's so many things in this game, and there's one right there. I mean, that's the official chart. It says two dollar exacta. I know I bet a one dollar exacta, so it was available. You know, we've seen this on television where they'll post $2 payoffs when it's not, that's not the minimum. Right. So, which is stupid. Who is deciding that? <laughs> Does that that's make sense? Reasons. It doesn't make any sense. No. I'll tell you, that brings up another time of sitting with Millie Baldo on the HRTV set. One time during a commercial break, she said, John, can you explain to me why such and such, such and such, such and such? I said, Millie, all I can tell you is it doesn't make sense, and that's what you often see in racing. <laughs> she said, you know, you're right. <laughs> I mean, so many times these things, you know, that you say, well, hey, why, why is that? And so, but so well, those are the horses I like, you know, I mean, yeah. I like the California horses. Now, look, the next six horses on my top ten, Crown Pride, who has gotten a lot of chuckles, including on dude videos. <laughs> and look, I, I get it. You know, and look, Aaron, it isn't unreasonable to say, Aaron, or anybody, UAE Derby winners are 0 for 16 in the Kentucky Derby. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. But... The, the key with racing, it's like the, the speed figures or whatever. There's an art, you know, you have to look 
below the surface. And I can only cite, and you too will remember this, 2017, my top pick in the Kentucky Derby, who went off at 16 to 1, was a horse called Thunder Snow. Mm -hmm. Now, did he win the Kentucky Derby? He didn't even finish the Kentucky Derby. He came out of the gate, and before you could say Thunder Snow, he was bucking up and down and got pulled up. He looked like he was headed for the rodeo in Texas or something. <laughs> and you say, and I had a thousand on him that day. And believe me, I'm going to tell you, considering what Always Dreaming went on to do versus what Thunder Snow went on to do, which... Thundersnow went on to win $16 million. <laughs> That's a lot more than always dreaming. But Thundersnow, it was a nightmare. Not There was no dreaming with him. It was a complete nightmare. But the point is, he was good enough as a UAE Derby. So to me, that's like an asterisk to that. I'm not convinced he could, believe me, I, he was a better horse than always dreaming. He was better than him. So that tells me if he doesn't pull that wingding, which, you know, <laughs> talk about weird things to happen. And that's the thing about the Derby. You have to be careful. Listen, when I was sitting in the press box at Santa Anita in 2001, right after the Santa Anita Derby, and I looked over at Kurt Uber and I said, well, we just saw the a triple crown winner. Point given. Mm -hmm. He goes to Churchill Downs for the only time in his whole life he didn't run first or second. And he wins the Preakness. I bet him in the Derby that I unloaded on him in the Preakness <laughs> because I knew he was way better than his, and I knew he was better than Monarchos, who he drilled in the Preakness and then drilled in the Belmont. And he won the Belmont by over 12 lengths. And if you take out Secretariat's 31-length win, Point Givens Belmont ranks right up there with anybody, Risen Star, anybody. So, you know, but here's the, the deal with the Derby. 1974, you had a 23-horse field that turned into a complete rodeo, and you had a horse that, that should have been a Triple Crown winner probably, that he gets annihilated, and Angel Cordero gives a great ride to Cannonade. And uh, the horse that should have won the Kentucky Derby goes on to win the Preakness and Belmont, and you know, like I say, should have by seven lengths. You know, he wins the Kentucky Derby, you know, by little current. Little current wins by seven lengths. And see, back then, I, I can tell you a little backstory on that. You go back to that chart and read the comment. In fact, I'll read it for you because I've got the uh, chart <laughs> book here. Of course you And do. this is really comical because CBS was able to, they had the trouble the Cannonade had. And when you saw the video, and see, this is way before computers and video and everything. But you saw this, you knew Cannonade was a cinch in the previous cinch. And it says, uh, little current. Close strongly following a sluggish beginning. <laughs> he was uh, it, he was 21st early and finished fifth. 
And believe me, he ran a race that win most derbies, just <laughs> running fifth, because he got annihilated. And uh, But see, you didn't have these trouble lines in the form then, in the past performances. I mean, that's why I say, like, when I grew up, I was a trip handicapper. I had the advantage because it wasn't there at the fingertips of everybody. Now it's even more so with the videos. So, you know, you lose your edges. By the way, I will say this. It's amazing in this game that when I was growing up, you know, and going to the races in the 60s, the percentage of winning favorites was like 32, 33, 31, 34, 70s, 80s, to today. We looked at all the information we had and availability, computers and this and that and Look at how you were able to just call up that Flamingo States while we're sitting here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have all that, and yet, you know what the percentage of the how what is the public picking the winner anymore now than in the '60s? And, and how like how is that possible? If we have all this, it, it just it, it's fascinating to me. That's a fascinating aspect of this. So. You know, I was, to go back to Tabor real quick, when I was, like, trying to decide between these two, the big thing to me is a normal horse progression, their second time stretching out, normally, they do what, John? They get better. That's right. Well, how often do you hear the phrase, it's his third start off a rest, and it's often a horse's best? Yep. And if that's the case... You know, and I'll tell you one of the reasons that kind of cemented it for me to go back to Taba. Gary Young, I've known going back clear into the early 1980s. Uh, this guy is so sharp. And look at what he's done for Mr. Zidane here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's got such a good eye for a horse, and he knows this game inside and out. And but he's realistic, you know, just because he's involved. It isn't like with Medina Spirit last year. He didn't say, ah, we're going to win this race and blah, blah, blah. No. He said, I think he's coming up to maybe the best race he's run so far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, he's live. And he's saying about Taba, it's like, why would you go to Messier if... Messier was basically no match for him in the Santa Anita Derby. This is what I mean by he didn't lose by a neck or a half or even a length. I mean, it was like no contest. I mean, this horse basically toyed with Messier. I mean, let's face it. So why, when you watch that, would you go, it's going to be different? Now, it might be different because of the circumstances. Only two races under the belt. And if he does, you know, one thing Gary Young has said, and it's true for all of these horses, look at Rock Your World last year. You know, people say how bad he ran, but he had no chance. Mm -mm. You can't get eliminated at the start. Pratt's foot came out of the stirrup. He got bumped so hard. The horse many people predicted would be on the lead, maybe no worse than second. He was like, well, here again, I have the chart. Let's look. (laughs) Where was Rock Your World early last year? <laughs> I'm going to guess 16th. 10th. 10th, okay. 10th early. So he went from 10th and then ended up 17th. But, I mean, he's out of the race. 
you know, now this is good because, you know, in for Forbidden Kingdom, I'm right here, and I've heard you talk about this, Jared. I mean, early on the backstretch, you're wondering if Taba's even going to do much. And even Mike Smith. Mike Smith says he was so relaxed, I had to ask him a little to make sure I had any horse. Yeah. And here, even here, you think Messier, because Messier's more experienced and blah, blah, blah. But he put that head down. Here's that. Put that head down, and you shift into another gear, and it's like, now who's going to win that day at a mile and a quarter? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And listen, I, I think the world of Messier, and I won't be, especially if David doesn't win, I think Messier's got a great shot to win this race. He's by Empire Maker, who was my pick in the race, and Empire Maker should have won the Kentucky Derby. But he ran, Bobby Frankel sent him to the Wood Memorial. He ran on a muddy track, and he came out of it with a foot problem. And I can tell you at the 2006 Breeders' Cup press party, I had the longest conversation I've ever had with Bobby Frankel. And I knew him well enough because I'd known him from 1981. And I said, you know, you cost yourself a triple crown. Ah, what do you mean? And I said, you, why did you send Empire Maker, who you felt was your Kentucky Derby winner from like the minute you got him, even before you got him, the, they were so high on him at the farm. I said, why did you send him from California where the weather's nice? and not run in the sand and eat a derby and go to the wood memorial and run on a lousy muddy track that he came out with a foot problem i said how how was your training with him up at the kentucky derby well i couldn't train him like i wanted to i said there you go yep i said and what happened in the belmont oh he drilled that funny side <laughs> see i mean he was a better horse he beat funny side in the wood and he beat him in the Belmont. And funny side, the thing, 10 most wanted scared me in the Belmont because this was a case I had a huge bet on Empire Maker. I got so many horses that I've lost bets on in the Kentucky Derby that go on to do great, point given, looking at lucky, you know, uh, and Empire Maker's another one, you know, that, and I, but I, but midway down the stretch in the Belmont, I was worried that I'd win the battle and lose the war because funny side was going backwards, but here looming was 10 most wanted trained by Wally Velasi, very good friend of mine, wonderful man, very sad, had Alzheimer's at the end of his life, but uh, Empire Maker got the job done. And uh, so, I mean, there's so much to like about uh, Messier. I mean, you know, and these horses drew well. You know, I was sitting on pins and needles on that. <clears throat> but again, sometimes too much can be made of that. Once again, I was sitting on the HRTV set with Millie Ball 10 years ago. And we watched the Kentucky Derby draw. And I'll have another is my, I got a future book bet on him. I'm going to bet him in the race. And they say, I'll have another. 19. And I will say what I said was expletive deleted. <laughs> and I mean, I thought, you got to be kidding. What is this post? And then I looked, and no horse had ever won from post 19. Nobody. So I thought, well, there goes another one for me. 
Mm-hmm. On my drive home, I thought, you know what? I'm not changing my pick. I'm still going to bet him because if he's the horse I think he is, that won't get him beat. In other words, if he gets beat, it's because he's not the horse I think he is. It isn't close 19. And listen, I know much was made of Bodemeister in the pace he set, which it was a terrific performance by Bodemeister. You know, Andy Beyer went bananas. And it was. He said he it was such a fast pace for him to almost land. I'll have another, according to Trackus, another tool we have today, ran about five and a half lengths farther than Bodemeister, which is why I made the biggest bet on a horse in my life in the Preakness to this day on I'll have another in the Preakness, and he wasn't favored, Bodemeister was. And I can only tell you that when I got off my HRTV shift at Santa Anita in the studio, I went directly to cash my bet, huge, on I'll have another, and it's the only time a mutual clerk has asked me, do you want your bundle of hundreds and a whole food food sack? (laughs) And I said, yes, please. And so he stuffed all these bundles of hundreds into the whole food sack. So that was I'll have another. But see, it paid to stay the course that time. So, you know, maybe it, it, I should not change my mind on Messier to go to Taba. But you got to go with your gut. And like I say, between the two options, I can live with myself more if Messier wins and I pick Taba. If I pick Messier and Taba wins and he's three for three and makes history like this, and I mean, and a part of it's I'm pulling for him because how great would that be? You know, yes, this is an interesting derby for us. This is another thing that will branch racing out into the mainstream. That this story of this horse and this magnificent achievement, if he were to do it, to, to do what he's done so historically, you know, it just, I can't not pick him under those circumstances. And listen, is there a worse thing for us gamblers to say we think he's the fastest horse in the race and he's not the favorite and not the second favorite? <laughs> Maybe not the third favorite. On the morning line, he's not even the third favorite. So how often that's the type of opportunities that you need to take advantage of because they don't come along every day. You can go to the races and bet the races all year. And you're not going to see too many instances where you say this, I'm, I'm fairly certain is the fastest horse in this race. And he's not the favorite. He's not the second favorite, maybe not even the third favorite. So from that standpoint, he's kind of a better bet than Messier. Because I don't, I look at Messier as a solid horse for the race, but I don't consider him the most talented going in. What do you, onto that note, I'm curious to know, because you're obviously, I mean, people, they may not know, we know. I mean, you you do the morning line, of course, for Santanita, Del Mar, Breeders' Cup. And what people need to know, like you, not only do you do the morning line, you don't just sit it and forget it. You watch these races, you see how they're bet, because you get better, you want, want to understand. So to that point, there's a lot of talk of the 12-1 to 1 and, the, and the 8-1 to 1 on Messier and kind of maybe people thought it'd be flip-flopped and, and maybe it is at, at post time. So is there, 
you have an indication of what you know it's like of course with horse racing we're not going to i wish we unless you're betting overseas you can't lock in the price so what are we going to get you think say post time on teva and messier well mike patagula has been making the morning line for the kentucky derby since 1974 which was that little current race cannonade one with a just a masterpiece ride by Cordero. So, I mean, going clear back to Cannonade in 74. And look, I did not, I envy Mike in this task for this race. This was, a to me, because you had the question of which of those two to be favored, and then even those bubbling under, the pecking order of those horses, how low to make them. You know, I, I would say, and it's easy for people a lot of times to be, you know, sit on the couch and say, I would do this, I would do that. But when you have to crunch the numbers and balance the race for percentages, it's a whole different ballgame. I, personally, I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have gone as low as three to one for the favorite because of what I said in terms of, I don't think there's separation at the top of this race. You know, I, it's a fairly compact group for the numbers. And numbers drive the betting a lot. You can get a pretty good clue on betting by the numbers. And I'll look for any clue I can possibly get in terms of trying to forecast the odds as accurately as I can. And I, I listen to people as much as I can. Uh, fortunately for Mike, he was able to make this morning line, you know, issue it after the post position drop. For the last two Breeders' Cups, I've had to submit the morning line before you even know the post positions. So imagine that. Yes. Yeah. And one of the only one of the only favorites I missed was in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, which I would have had right after the draw because I would have flip flopped the first and second favorites for sure. So that cost me one. I had most of the favorites anyway, but that that hurt me by that post position draw. So and there is no race in America that's more important in terms of post position than the Kentucky Derby. And I heard it said that Mike was considering, for instance, raising Modonigal from 10, and he decided to just let it go. And there's a case where his first instinct was probably his best instinct, because he probably should have raised him. And right off the bat, he could have lowered Kaba using those points right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and here's another thing I've learned through the years on morning lines. Perception is important. And what I mean by that is single digits or double digits. You know, Tabe is up there in double digits. So if he gets action, even down to eight, uh, seven, nine even, you know, it looks like he's getting more action when you look at it than, than if you have him eight and he's six or five. In other words, that double digit, single digits. So I, I try to be very aware of that. Another one for me, we don't make seven to ones in the United States. So you have a gap from six to eight and making the line at Santa Anita and Del Mar, I have to try my guts out and still balance the race to not have a horse that I think may get bet at eight. Because what will happen, these guys come on the radio shows on the weekend and you can't imagine how many horses that are eight will get play. You know, I love this horse today. He's eight. And if I have him six, you know, that's not perceived to be as big a deal. Mm -hmm. And you won't hear them pick as many of those 
you know, or make a big deal out of. So mm. there's all these elements. I mean, there's so many. I could spend, you know, like 24 hours with you guys just discussing philosophy and approach and things I've learned about morning lines. I can only say it's a very difficult job, one that everybody thinks, not everybody, but most everybody thinks they could do. And I say, well, then sit down and try it and see how it shakes out because it's not as easy as it looks like most things until you do it. And uh, I, I, I don't envy Bataglia and the job he was asked to have to do for this Kentucky Derby just to have the right favorite. I mean, you know, I will say I felt Epicenter was going to be the favorite all the way, but I think Epicenter drew a little better, so that could, have, could maybe push you that way. You know, Marty McGee's been one of the biggest morning line knockers. When he comes on the radio, he just loves to, well, this horse isn't going to be eight to one. I mean, he's one of the all-timers. And that's why he he thinks, you know, he's a tremendous line maker. And I will tell you, he is a very good line maker. But I'll disagree with a lot of his lines. You know, and he's he's felt Sandin was going to be the favorite for the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, will he be right? Maybe. But... You know, I think this could go either way. Uh, you know, you just, it's very hard to handicap a race to as far as trying to bet it or, you know, get the winner. But it's also difficult to try to handicap the betting because listen to how you guys talk after the draw and the different opinions just between you guys. But that's just you. Then yep. I've got to factor in everybody else. Look at how big this pool is. And then you have to factor in Mattress Mac. <laughs> now, if he bets two million or three million on Epicenter, for instance, do you think he'll go favored? I mean, it certainly increases the chances. Yep. But maybe yep. now that Zandon's the morning line favorite, it'll go. But that's a wild card that's just happened in the last couple of years, right there. And you know. I got criticized for making a Japanese horse 15 to one in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, in which the morning line favorite at nine to five, Jack, Christ, uh, Chris, Jack Christopher, ended up scratching. So that affected that whole, you know, that unraveled that my whole line. By the way, the morning line, the name of it's morning line. You know why? Because when it first started, it was made the morning of the races. Mike Battaglia just issued the Kentucky Derby morning line on Monday. I have to, for the Breeders' Cup, I have to issue them for both days on Monday. That's not the morning line. It's an advanced line. Why do you say that's important? Because the morning of the race, you have the late scratches. You know the weather. You know if there's been a track bias. You know if there's a hot jockey. I mean, there's more things that you would be able to make a better line. I would be able to get workout information. I would be able to have thoroughgraph numbers that I don't have now that I only had for a couple of years before they maybe put the odds in the racing form. So, you know, I think Table will probably go lower, but I'm not sure because there's such a concern about him with the workout and his lack of experience. You know, how do you, how do you weigh that? You know, the Japanese horse, he's 20 on the line. He could go lower. You know, he might be a wise guy horse, what we call a wise guy horse. That, you know, he's the what he's Mike Welsh. I really respect that guy's got his keen eye for a horse and workouts of anybody I've ever seen, and that's saying a lot. He's raved about simplification and the way he is trained in Florida, and he has raved about 
crown pride. And that means a lot to me. The fact that that guy thinks that much of how he has looked, because he knows it's like Gary Young. You know, and getting back to Taba, that's the thing about Gary Young is he's basically said if he breaks clean, he should be ahead of like 16 or 17 horses going into the first turn. And at that point, that, you know, inexperience goes yeah. down the three. It doesn't matter then. He's sitting to where, again, it's back to what I said about I'll have another. Either he's the horse or he's not. He, either he's as good, he's that fast, he's that better, or he's not. And we'll find out. If he doesn't break clean, the whole thing goes down the tubes anyway. But that, like I say, can be the case for anybody. So, you know, people talk about the post position. The break is a million times, I mean a million times more important than the post position draw. The, what happens at that break? And you know who told me that more than once? Bob Baffert. With Justify, uh, American Pharaoh, right down the line. To him, that break, and look, there's a reason he feels that way. He was a, a very successful quarter horse trainer before he switched over to the thoroughbreds. How important is the break in quarter horse racing? Yep. I mean, it's critical. Well, it's pretty critical. It's not a 350-yard race, the Kentucky Derby, but it's pretty darn critical, too, mainly because of the size of the field. All right, John, last question. Now, I know we've talked about Taba and Messier, and we know how you feel about them, and we know how you feel about some of these, I won't call them shorter prices because we both like horses that are larger prices, but you mentioned a few. Give us one horse. Give the people one horse or two horses or some ones you're like that could really blow things up. You know, that's what people are going to watch this, and they're going to say, well, we pick these are horses I already knew about. Give me a horse that is maybe a, a – is maybe someone that John White would normally pick. I've got three. Ooh. Okay. First. Write them down, folks. And believe me, nobody likes this horse. <laughs> I was listening to uh, the Churchill Downs weekly radio show Friday, and they talked about every horse just about and got toward the end, and they said, well, we should mention so-and-so because that way we'll mention have mentioned all of them. They hadn't mentioned this horse. They never mentioned this horse. That's Tony Hort. Now, why do I say he's a possible knockout horse? He's definitely live to hit the board, but he's even a possibility to pull a shocker. Why? He has the look of being the charismatic of 2022. And why do I say that? Because charismatic didn't do all that much in California. And then he went back to the Lexington and got a 108 buyer. And it was like they flipped a switch. His form dramatically changed. And the 108 put him in the mix for the Kentucky Derby. And he was my pick, and he won at 31 to 1. And I came back on him stronger in the Preakness because... And he wasn't the favorite. That is another one that I bet in the Preakness, like I'll have another. The one the Derby wasn't even the favorite in the Preakness. I liked him even better because the 108 that he got in the Kentucky Derby proved the 108 in the Lexington was not a fluke. So he had 108, 108. And again, he wasn't favored in the Preakness. So why do you say, what's that got to do with Tawny Point? Well, Tawny Point wasn't doing all that much. 
And then he won the Lexington on the dirt. And he looked, visually looked good to me doing it. And the thing about Tommy Point is, if you look at his buyers, you know, he actually dropped from the uh, Jeff Ruby to the Lexington. And he got a, in the high 80s for the Lexington. Here's Thurograph again. He got a seven in the Jeff Ruby on the Thurograph and a two and three quarters in the Lexington. Now, what are Epicenter's two last numbers? Two and a half. Two and a half, two and a half. So that race tells me, and especially if you then take it a step further, Taba, it's too much is asked of them. You know, Messier doesn't pan out. And Epicenter, we're already saying this horse ran almost as fast. So then you have Zandon, you know, and so he, that number puts him to where it's realistically to me, he's, he's not without a shot. Are you saying he's probably going to win? No, not, not even close. Is he a live huge pro Look, he's 30 to one on the line. I, I'll bet he's, yeah. I mean, well, Mike, for some reason this year, did not make any 50s, which that's another thing with the Breeders' Cup. The Breeders' Cup tells me they will, they do not allow 50s in the Breeders' Cup. <laughs> so Mike either he was told that or decided that himself because, and Mike's never been shy to make 50 to 1s, but we know, I'm Tawny would have been one of the 50 to 1s, you know, for sure. Happy Jack would have been a 50 to 1. So, I mean, so uh, now that's one horse. Another one, and... This one got drafted by Jared today because he drafted so well, and that's Classic Cosmo. Now, you, a lot of people have laughed at Classic Cosmo, and with good reason. I get it. Look, he went, went into the Florida Derby. He didn't even really make it to the far turn, threw in the towel, got beat a mile. But I know he's a better horse than that, and it's the thing that you say, did something go wrong? Did he bleed internally? Did he have a breathing problem? Well, now it's coming to light. They're, they feel he had a breathing problem. Listen, Ali Sheba had a minor throat operation after getting disqualified from his win in the bluegrass into the derby. And it changed his whole form around. Look at the difference in Ali Sheba before the Kentucky Derby and after the Kentucky Derby once he got the minor throat operation. Now, Kaiser Causeway, no operation, but they're adjusting his equipment. He, he's going to run in a tongue tie for the first time. And uh, they're also making another equipment adjustment on him. So, and I, I think he could be the war emblem of 2022. And you say, well, why do you say that? The way that horse can break from the gate and the speed he has, let's say he gets the jump and he goes to the front. Now, I'm not sure he would even beat Messier to the front or that he could. So let's say he goes right to the front. There's so many people laughing at him now, and he's going to be such a long shot. I mean, they're not taking him seriously, which is fine for them because the same thing happened with War Emblem. War Emblem went along went the three quarters and one eleven and change. And by the way, your Mike of your dudes said there's the possibility of a one eleven and change three quarters for this pace. Mm -hmm. That could be classic Cosway. 
And by the time, what happened with Orenlin, by the time they said, you know what, we better go after him. Do you know how much gas he had in the tank because he went the first three quarters and won 11 and change? He drew up and won by four with Espinosa. Will this happen? Probably not, almost certainly not. But I'm just telling you, if, the, if you took the Florida Derby off, how do, his form suddenly looks a lot better, doesn't it? And that's another lesson that I learned. For instance, in 1973, Secretariat finished third two weeks before the Kentucky Derby. Third, behind Anglelight and Sham. People forget, Sham beat Secretariat. That was another one. Do I stick with Secretariat, who I had predicted in March would win the Triple Crown, which hadn't been achieved in 25 years, or do I switch to Sham? I stayed with Secretariat, and look what happened. And I didn't, to me, we, the word is he had a big abscess. But see, we don't know these reasons a lot of time. Why did the horse run such a bad race? And sometimes the worse, the better, because it couldn't have taken much out of him. He didn't run hard enough. He didn't run far enough or hard enough for the race. It wasn't a taxing race, I don't think. So that helps him, you know, actually coming into this. I've won, right. I've won some handicapping contests at Santa Anita, picking horses off horrible races. And they, the people would come up to me afterwards and say, how can you possibly like that horse? I'd say, because the guy didn't even ride him down the stretch. He was already out of the race. It took nothing out of him. And if you throw that race out, now look at his form. So what his odds are so inflated because of the running such a stinker that, you know, and he's a pretty good horse. And I'm going to tell you another pretty good horse who's gotten a lot of chuckles, including on dude's videos, is yeah. Tis LeBong, who actually was the last horse taken out of 20 in the dude's draft today. <laughs> But I'm going to tell you the thing about <laughs> Tis the Bomb ran the bad race in the Holy Bowl. So, look, I get it. You know, I was I bet him in the Holy Bowl. You think anybody's disappointed? I was disappointed. Keep an outworking smile happy. And by the way, there's another horse I haven't even talked about. He's another one that could win this race. What's he done wrong? He's lost to Epicenter and Zandy. And he beats Zandon when he lost at Epicenter. I'm not a smile-happy fan. He's not in my top ten. But if he won this race, he could win this race. Especially, you guys talk about this a lot, and I kind of identify with this. I like McPeak more when he's a price. Mm -hmm. You know, when McPeak's like eight to five, I'm kind of nervous. I'm like washing out. But when, <laughs> but when he's a price, and see, you learn these little things... And they work a lot in racing. So in other words, I like Smile Happy better now than I did early in the year when he was the favorite. He was the early Kentucky Derby favorite. Yep. So it wouldn't shock me if he won. But look, this is the bomb. First of all, he's got class. Go back and watch that Breeders' Cup Juvenile. You know, everybody loved the winner who ran a great race from Europe. This horse closed every bit as strongly to run second in that race. Is he better on turf and or synthetic? Uh, most, you know, almost certainly. But I'm going to tell you, one bad dirt race, again, inflates the price. He broke his maiden by over 14 lengths. Look, it was a low number, but he was a two-year-old. 
Did he beat anything? No. But the way he's trained on the dirt throughout his career, what you have here is a horse that's got class, ability, that is back in form. You know, he ran that race in that last time out in the Jeff Ruby. He, he quickened like you like to see on the turf. But this horse has, again, shown in his training on the dirt that he can run well under. Now, will he win this race? You know, most likely not. But people laughed at buying that bird. They've laughed at a lot of horses in this race through the years. Giacomo, you know, I almost beat Giacomo because of my strike system. I, my top pick was closing argument. It's 71 to 1. My top pick went off at 71 to 1. Why? He fit in that eighth pole category that I, and I figured he could be first or second at the eighth pole. He had the lead at the eighth pole and led the whole last furlong till Giacomo. <laughs> and that's Mike Smith. If it's like almost any other jockey besides <clears throat> a great jockey like Mike Smith, if he just gets stopped slightly once, in that big field, I win with a 71 to 1 Kentucky Derby. But no, Mike Smith gives a great ride and somehow comes from the clouds and gets up and wins by a half a length. I came within a half a length of one in the Kentucky. And it's still one of the most proud picks I've ever made. Why? Because closing argument paid $70 to place. It's the record, it's the highest place payoff. A lot of winners don't pay $70. Mm -mm. That horse paid 70 to place. And, of course, I only <laughs> bet him to win. <laughs> well, hey, not not to, like, make it worse for you, Halterman, because I know how much you want to talk shit on Tiz the Bomb, but well, it's possible we're going to be looking at a, a somewhat of a uh, wet, sloppy, who knows? I mean, it's supposed to rain a lot. What if what if Tiz the Bomb kind of likes the slop being a, being a turf horse? Well, that, to me, see, that's another wrinkle. You always have to... <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I think if you got a, a wet track, it would play into my top two picks because mm -hmm. of their tactical speed. Mm -hmm. because, they don't mess with that stuff. See, we don't, we don't have, like, again, when I was young, which I hate to use that phrase, but <laughs> we had, like, heavy tracks and slow tracks. They didn't seal tracks. So tracks would get deep and boggy. Nowadays, and as Churchill, believe me, that track, it gets wet, but it's firm. And those horses skip over it. And it, it plays into the hands of a Messier or a Taba, maybe even a classic Cosway. See, there again, let's say you've got a sloppy track. I'm going to tell you, right there increases, you know, the, the chances Remote as they are, which they are remote. I, look, and I'm saying Classic Causeway is unlikely to win this race. But I'm also saying this is a Kentucky Derby deep, deeper than, than I've seen in a long time to where you can go down the list. Look, at I haven't even mentioned Siren. And I'm going to tell you, he's not chopped liver. He's improved. He was a head case. He's got a tremendous trainer. He's improving. He's maturing. This horse could fire a big race in this thing. It, it, we spent all this time, and I, his name hasn't even come up. <laughs> and he, he is 
Can I throw him out? No, no, in no way can I throw him out. Now I throw out charges, you know, and even though he got drafted first in the dude's draft, summer is tomorrow I throw out. <laughs> Happy Jack I throw out. Come on, John. John, you know, went pretty high in the draft. Barber Road. I, you know, he and see, he's not going to be first. I don't throw him out as a horse to hit the board. He fits the profile of a lot of big price horses that get a piece, but he doesn't fit the profile to win. He would be the exception, like a Giacomo, mm -hmm. you know, and like a Grindstone, you know, those horses like Animal Kingdom. Those are the only three, you know, going back a long ways that were not one, two at the eighth hole. And that's the thing about the stretch closers, even horses like Orr. You want a horse that can make that move on the turn to be first or second at the eighth hole. Even if they're, you know, that's a Mo Donegal. To me, Mo Donegal's got to be able to somehow generate that rally to get him. And that worries me with him because it took him till late in that wood to run down early mm -hmm. motor. You know, there's another race. If you, if you stopped it at the 16th hole and said, okay, who do you want to bet to win? I'm not betting Mo Donegal. I would have mm. emptied out on early voting. He looked like an absolute cinch. So I give credit to Modonagle to run down early voting, who's a pretty darn good horse like that. But trying to do that at Churchill in the Kentucky Derby, and of course he's got more chance to run into traffic. So, you know, but he's a good horse. I mean, he's another horse that would it surprise me if he wins a little bit just because of his style. But uh, but he's a he's a pretty darn good horse. Look, I've been successfully taking a stand against the Remsen for many years, <laughs> and that didn't work this year. Those two horses out of the Remsen, O'Donagol and Zandon, they're the real deal. I do. I will say this: I took I have twenty dollars on Zandon at fifty six to one from the first Kentucky Derby future pool. So if Sandin wins, it won't break my heart <laughs> at 56 to 1. How often, guys, do you get a horse at 56 to 1 odds that ends up being the morning line favorite in the race? Never. Never. And I have that right there with Sandin. How did it happen? I had it on good authority that from the Chad Brown barn, they thought this horse was better than Jack Christopher. And all he had done to that point was win a maiden sprint. So, you know... No, getting that knowledge is why, unfortunately, I only bet 20. Now you look back and say, why didn't I put 100 on him like Justify when I got him at 100 to 1? But, you know, still 20 to 1 and 56 to 1 is good, you know, pretty good. So I'll take that, yeah. especially for a horse coming into this race as good as he is. I mean, you know, it, he certainly won't surprise anybody if he wins. That's, you know, yeah. to say the least. Horse betters, you know, it's never enough when, uh, you know, whenever you, whenever you get it right and whenever you got it wrong, you wish you would have bet less. That's usually, usually how it goes. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, John, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And I mean, hopefully everyone listening to this got some insight there because I know Halterman's brain is just. I could so I saw it spinning whenever he you first made your your announcement of who you were, you switched your pick. Listen, so, I'm on Taba now. He's convinced, he convinced me. me. There we go. Well, I, you know, it almost makes too much sense, which it, is weird to say that, but it's true. I mean, he's right. You, right. you just start with looking at back-to-back triple-digit buyers. I mean, if we were just handicapping this race and it's the fourth race 
you know, at uh, Oakland on a yep. Friday, you'd look at these buyers and you'd go, who do you want? And you'd say, man, I'm taking this horse, right? And they, they'd say, well, he's not the favorite. And you'd go, what? <laughs> well, he's got to be the second. No, he's not the second favorite. I mean, it right. almost looks, you know, and, and the thing is, it isn't like we're going in as supporters of him saying we'll be absolutely floored if he gets beat, you know. But going in, I feel pretty comfortable with him. Again, that break, and if he breaks, and he is ahead of 16 or 17 horses going into the clubhouse turn, I'm going to tell you what's going to pop into my head right then. (laughs) Is that replay from the Santa Anita Derby down the lane of him in that last even more than the furlong, last 16th, what he did there, and and the the possibility that, you know, because, again, if he's ahead of 16 or 17, he's got a great chance to be first or second at the eight hole. And if he's first, and what what did you say, Aaron? I mean, it's not a point to be taken lightly that what happens with a horse, like, in this scenario with his second route, I mean, in other words, he actually has – a right not to go backwards, but to go forwards. Yep. He does. Now, he also could go backwards. You know, maybe his gas tank won't be full and, you know, it, it, he'll pay the price. But you know, I, let me, I, I, I got today's, and again, what I told you guys about uh, Mike Welsh, I got today's um, Mike Welsh workout report, and what he said about uh, him this morning, how happy he looked, and uh, right here. I can't Taba made, this verse. <laughs> Taba made a very favorite. Now listen, he talked about both Messier and Taba. And it, he says they were both out for routine gallops. But did he say anything further about Messier? No. Crickets. He says Taba made a very favorable impression, looking quite happy with ears pricked coming by the wire and continuing into and around the clubhouse turn. I mean, does that sound like a horse I don't want to pick or bet on in the Kentucky Derby? No. I mean, it's almost like trying to find reasons not to bet him. And there are, it's, the, it's obvious, it's the lack of experience. But, you know, justify helps that. What we saw from him, and he didn't just win the dirt. Now, the thing, a difference here, too, is I think Taba is facing better competition than Justify. I'll tell you this. If Taba was in against that bunch in this derby, I would love him then. You know, Good Magic was a good horse, but that rest of that crew... You know that helped justify, and that to win that triple crown. Yeah, that was yeah. not a that wasn't your curling street sense, hard spun rags the riches crew. <laughs> this crew looks pretty good, really overall on quality. I mean, that's what's making it a challenging race for us to try to figure it out. And uh, so that's a little bit against Tata too. Is he's facing not only the history, but a better group than Justify. But Justify shows you what can be done. Who laid the foundation on Justify? Well, Baffert. Who laid the foundation on Taba? 
the foundation, because it's that foundation that people are worried is lacking. But you know, this horse worked a million times last year. Mike Smith even worked him and liked him last year as a two-year-old. I mean, it wasn't like this horse just came on the scene this year. So yes, he didn't run a tooth, but again, you have to dig below the surface. This horse had something like 16 workouts or something as a two-year-old. So yep. yeah, he didn't have a race, but how many two-year-olds that didn't race have 16 workouts? So, well, you know, I think you're making the right, I mean, the thing is, Aaron, between these two, like I say, it's just better to sink or swim with the horse that he is the more exciting horse going into the race. Yeah. Yep. And, and he's the fastest on numbers. So, so why in the heck not going, you know, and Jared had this gut feeling even before I've come around, you know, you were on this right away and you were even not concerned about the workout at all at first, but then you started to be a little more concerned about that. <laughs> but like I say, you know, you don't want to overdo these things. You know, we, we know so much more information about the Kentucky Derby that it can get us off track of what we really need to focus on. What we really need to focus on is who are the best horses, who has the style to win, who has the breeding to win, who has the rider to win, who has the trainer to win. You know, these are the things. And when they say checking boxes, what which box there didn't Taba check? Yep. yep. I mean, he checked all. He checked all those. So, I I just got to the point where I was, you know, because I yeah you're right I was, but then I started to wonder, and but then like you say I just it's like I'm 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 not gonna if if I whenever they hit that first turn and Tape is sitting in third and he's in like the perfect position, I'm gonna say, Are you kidding me? I didn't bet this horse. It's like because after that it's all out the window. And like you said, you said it perfectly, it's like we're gonna find out if he is who we think he is. But I think we're I mean, wouldn't you rather have that whole like that position and know just at least know if I, I I'm like I'm exactly like you. I would I would feel so much better picking him and it's like, okay, you know experience got him or he missed the break or whatever like there's a you know a hundred things that could happen but it then picking messier and it's like he hits the top of the stretch and he can you imagine picking messier and you see tape and run him down you're like well nope. shit i just saw that a month ago that makes me want to throw up <laughs> by the way this goes back to what you guys have been doing with the four of you when you go back and forth because you just made me think of something i hadn't thought about before jerry and that is Mike Smith now is more familiar with Taylor. See, and he's going to ride him with more confidence than he, he couldn't ride him with confidence in the Santa Anita. He'd never ridden. You know, he'd been on him in a work of his two, but it's irrelevant. It's not right. the same as having just won the Santa Anita Derby. He now has a feel for what this horse can do and so forth that this one race experience for Mike Smith is invaluable. And it's another plus, actually, than, it, than picking him up just for this race. In other words, if Johnny B had ridden him both times and now we're getting Mike Smith, yeah. it's not like Mike Smith can't do that or whatever. And he showed that in the Santa Anita Derby. But I like the fact he's now even more familiar with this horse, quite honestly. You know, and he's going to, he knows what, what he, what this horse can and maybe can't do and so forth. So he knows how much he can ask him early or not have to ask him or whatever. 
And I hadn't thought about that till just right now since you, you were talking and, I, and it sparked that thought in my mind. And I thought, you know what? That's yet another thing. This is the thing that in the past few days, I keep finding more reasons, not fewer reasons to like it. And the main yep. one is this. He's not going to be justifies price. He's not going to be five to two. I would still pick him at five to two. I might not bet him at five to two, but <laughs> I, I would still pick him at five to two. But I'm certainly going to bet him at whatever number he's going to be, whatever it is, because it's not going to be close to five to two. Nope. I mean, it's nope. not. It, you're going to get the price thinking. you want. These are the opportunities that you look for. They, mm -hmm. they don't come along very often. And that, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Look at me in Thunder Snow. I got 16 to 1 on the horse that, I'm telling you, who was the best horse that ran in that Kentucky Derby? It was Thunder Snow. Not close, it, yeah. It's not close. But he. But did I get $16,000? <laughs> you sure didn't. <laughs> I got I got a picture of this horse being pulled up, <laughs> you know, oh. sitting there going, my God, it's like, how can this happen? You know, and did he ever do that again? No. Nope. Did he ever do that before that? No. Nope. He just picked the Kentucky Derby when I had him at 16 to make $16,000. He decided now maybe he wouldn't have beaten, you know, I'll say this always dreaming ran well enough. I can't be positive he would have beaten them that day at that age stage of their careers. But I, again, he was, you know, as it turns out, he was the best horse in the race. So and that's where I say you have to keep that in mind with the Kentucky Derby. We could also, you can flip that around. That's a way to look at racing a lot of times too. flip it around. What if we're wrong about Tava and he's the second or third best horse in the race? But whoever the best horse of the race is, Epicenter or Zandon or Messier or somebody else, but probably one of those three, maybe Modonagle, maybe Crown Pride, you know, as you find out, uh, we win with Taba and he wasn't even the best horse because whoever the best horse is had trouble or didn't fire or whatever. So, I mean, we even have a little margin for error there with him, you know, I'm pretty satisfied he is the most talented horse. But what if he's not? We could still win because of what happens in the Kentucky Derby. He could be the third most talented or something. We could still, especially with the rider we got, a Mike Smith. Because it's the Mike Smiths and the Johnny Velasquez's and Rosario's and Arad Ortiz's, Gaffleon. To me, that there's like my starting five. And, you know, those guys are the type of guys that will win more, more often than other riders when they don't even have the best horse. So that's yep. another thing you have going here with the Tavis situation. He doesn't have to be the best horse or most talented to win it. But if he is the most talented and, and we're right, it certainly increases his chances to win this race. And as I say, when you look at most races, he's the one most people... You know, it amazes me how often Andy Beyer, who has the most miserable record of trying to pick, and he admits it himself, he's written it in his books. I mean, he's like got the most miserable record of trying to pick the winner of triple crown races, maybe of anyone in history. <laughs> and there have been numerous occasions for the horse coming in with the best buyer, you know, he doesn't pick. And he wins, and he goes, well, I just didn't pick him. And I'm going... 
it's your own numbers. <laughs> In other words, if he didn't pick Taba, which he wouldn't, because believe me, this lack of experience, there's no way, which that helps Taba too. Yeah. That buyer, and see, I don't necessarily know who he's going to pick. Uh, well, he'll be on a webcast on DR, but see, his picks don't go in the paper anymore. So, uh, they're so I bad they took them out of the paper and you thought you guys will love this and I remember this like it was yesterday my wife and I were at Disneyland in 2015 the week of the Kentucky Derby and I said I would kept checking my phone to when the form picks would get out because I wanted to see I was praying buyer wouldn't pick American Pharaoh praying <laughs> And he didn't. And when I saw that, I said to my wife, we were standing in line at uh, the, the canoe ride. Uh, and we were standing in that line for that ride. And I said, the Derby's over. American Farrell's, he's going to win now because Bayer didn't pick him. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't pick him in the Preakness. And he nope. didn't pick him in the Belmont. So, you know, I... But that guy's been amazing. And so there's no way he's picking Taba. Messier would be the type of horse he could pick. And actually, that's probably the horse, if I had, you know, he should pick. He's got the best route buyer, the 103, you know. Mm -hmm. But he could pick him. He could pick Epicenter. I would be shocked if he didn't pick Messier or Epicenter. But see, that helps us with Taba because... You know, they carry 126 pounds. Now, they didn't always, that Leon, Leonidas, that he carried 105 when he won the Kentucky Derby. But the, nowadays, we carry 126. And if Andy Byer picks your horse, you're carrying 126 and Andy Byer. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, that guy, what he did to come up with these numbers, he revolutionized the game. He's a brilliant writer. You know, his books are great all through the years at the Washington Post and in the racing forum. You know, I have great respect for the guy, believe me. Uh, you know, but, and as I say, he's the first to admit, the first, not second or third. He's the first one to tell, if you say, Andy, how's your record of picking a winner in a triple crown race? He'd say, horrible. <laughs> and I'd say, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's uh, well. Thank goodness. Well, I'll be keeping a close eye on because if, if he does end up picking Taba, then we're going to have to divert our plan a little bit here. <laughs> no way with only two races. There's not uh, no chance. All right. Well, I feel that's the biggest cinch in this year's Kentucky Derby is that guy is not going to pick a horse with only two races under his belt, and he even undercut his buyer, in my opinion, in the Santa Anita Derby. So. Like if he'd given him a 105, 106 or something, he might have might have been more tempted. But he's not going to be tempted when he thinks he regressed in the Santa Anita Derby. And I'm with the thoroughbred folks. I don't think he regressed. I think he moved up. And I'm with Aaron Halterman. I think there's the possibility he can move up again. If he does, what are his chances of winning? 90%. 90%. I mean, they're pretty high. Yeah. If he does against this crew... Like I say, it's a pretty bunched crew, but if he moves up, he's that separation from the crew. And, and what if he just runs the run same as he well, exactly. did last time? But but look, if he if he improves, we're talking about 
real separation here. Yeah. But that's the point you're making, Jared, that's so true. He had separation with Messier last time. Who is the horse? Aaron and I are sitting there, and, and even you, we've all yep. been kind of Messier, Taba, Messier, Taba, you know. And and it makes sense because Messier, like I say, he's a very logical horse to go to. I don't, I can certainly understand anybody going in. It makes sense. Listen, Billy Ball was asked on Mike Willman's radio show Sunday, and I was shocked she answered the question. She, he said, if you had a $20 bill, would you put it on Messier or Taba? And she said, Taba to win would have to be, you know, so brilliant without the without the foundation. So my $20 would have to go on Messier because he has the foundation. And that's the trainer's wife, who who I worked with for years at HRTV, does the TV at Santa Anita. And believe me, she knows what, she was an exercise writer for Franco, among others. I mean, she knows her stuff when it comes to horses. And that gave me pause to switch to Taba. But, you know, that foundation is there on Taba that people don't fully appreciate with all those workouts. See, that's part of the key here. And did he look like a horse without a foundation in the Santa Anita Derby? No. Nope. Nope. Here's another one for you guys. You show the video of that race to somebody that's, that's never you know, study, tried to pick the Kentucky Derby winner ever, and you show him that tape and you say, do you think, what do you think of that horse? Do you think he's raced a lot? I'll guarantee you, most people would look and say, yeah, I, he, I mean, did he run greenly? Did he run, do anything? I mean, he was a complete pro. And part of it is his mind. I mean, he's got this mind that, you know, and that's a big part of that. You find that on these top horses, like an American Pharaoh. The morning after he wins the triple crown, they're like petting him at the barn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And it's yeah. not always that way. There's also been very successful, uh, John Henry, I covered him intently for years. And believe me, I didn't come anywhere close to him in his stall <laughs> or out of his stall. I mean, I might lose an arm being next to John Henry. So, I mean, you know, that just because you're well-behaved doesn't mean you're going to be a very successful horse. But that, they talk about that mind and part of it with Taba is, I think it's that competitiveness with him too. You know, he sees a target. He's like that buck passer. He sees that target. He wants to go get that target. They said he was like that, you know, back when he was uh, young on the farm, that he'd be with other horses and they'd be playing and he'd like take off and like purposely run by somebody. <laughs> you know, that was the case with my favorite horse, Turbulator, when he was young and he was a Zenyatta type you know, come from behind. He was like that as a, as a you know, very young on the farm. The, the wife of the trainer would be looking out her window and see the horses playing, and she'd see this one horse, like, start five, six blanks behind, like, two, three other horses, and he'd take off and run right by him. Well, that was him and his career. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of the case here with Tapa. I mean, we're seeing kind of that same competitiveness from him you know that you want to see from a top athlete and these are equine athletes well well uh, halterman are you uh are you you feel now especially i mean i think the final nail in the coffin needs to be the fact that we think that it's possible 
that Andy Byer could pick Messier. So I think that needs. <laughs> yeah, that should be the deciding factor. That possibility. Well, John's picking Taba. Andy Byer possibly going to pick Messier. Millie Ball's picking Messier. What does she know? She doesn't even know the trainer, right? So, <laughs> now listen, I. I, I put Messier as the original pick last night, and I did the same thing as John. I went and looked at replays after I was done, and I said, how dumb are you going to feel when this happens again? I mean, it kind of sums it up, quite yeah. frankly. I mean, it really does. And because, look, sometimes, you know, we've seen horses run second in the Santa Anita Derby and come back and win the Kentucky Derby. I mean, it happened with Baffert a lot. Silver Charm, it happened with Real Quiet. Those two both ran second. I mean, Medina like, Spirit. And Medina Spirit. But, you know, uh, Silver Charm got beat fair and square by Freehouse. They had quite a rivalry the rest of their lives. I mean, it wasn't like Freehouse, you know, he beat him in the Santa Anita Derby. He beat him other times, too. But when, the, when it was time to run in the Kentucky Derby, it was Silver Charm. I mean, like I say, there's been enough of these. You know, Authentic ran second in the Santa Anita Derby. You know, that was the weird one run in September, which shows you how things can get off track, that we have a Kentucky Derby in September. <laughs> Who would ever thought we'd live to see that? But well, uh, hopefully, hopefully I don't live long enough to see it again. So Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, thanks so much for uh, joining us. And this has been... I, I, somehow I find, I don't know how it's possible, but it continues to be better than the last time we did it. So we appreciate you joining us. And hey, I think we could all say, let's, let's get Taba home. Let's go Taba. Go Taba. Taba. Thanks, John. Taba. <laughs> there you go. How do you feel about that? Uh, listen, I got to go update the guide. That's how I feel about it. I, I have, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're rounding into form here with the guide. I got to go update it because... I was, again, the first round of doing the guide last night, I had Messier on top, and I felt pretty good about it. And, and I pulled out my phone before I was going to bed. I was watching, i watch these replays again. And what he said makes total sense. There's no, there's no excuse for Messier. Even if we're going to say, hey, well, maybe he wasn't quite ready, which is possible. It was kind of a layoff. Should have finished him off. I'm sorry. And what's what's the difference like they were saying well he sat off of forbidden kingdom and that's why yeah but he wasn't right up on him and he's gonna probably get a similar trip to what he got mm -hmm. if Taba shows up at that same race messier can't beat him i'm i feel great about saying that for sure will he show up listen that i can't i can't determine that one way or the other i can't determine if any of them are going to show up so well, when I when I did the the when I went back, you know, we all had a, a certain horse, and of course, I got Taba. Um, when I went back and really analyzed, which is you know, it's hard to do with a horse like that that's so talented. It's like he's only had two races, but when you go watch and you really watch the Sandy Derby, there was two things to me that stuck out. And again, you can go watch this on our, on our YouTube page. Is the first thing was how well Taba broke, yeah. and you know, Forbidden Kingdom maybe had issues late in the race, but he certainly was Forbidden Kingdom early in the race. And he was right there. Taba was for a little bit. He was ahead of Messier, you know, and, and Mike said, Oh, you know, let's like, let this thing fade. You know, then you can see Messier kind of come in John, you know, Johnny B kind of sneak. And he's like, all right, go, you know, that's fine. That was the key. First of all, like he, he had to be possessed that early enough speed to be there. And number two, 
was it wasn't like he just like I think you could make the case for Messi. Oh, oh, he's... I have something to say. Hold on. Hold on. No, no. On top of what you're saying, that's also <laughs> good about that. He rated. Yes. Words, yes. In other words, he had that speed, but when Mike said, "Okay, we'll sit," he did. You know, that's not every horse by far. I mean, especially yeah. young and only your second race. And I mean, that horse, he, they talk about push button. That's push button. See, he was so push button that Smith's sitting on the backside and he goes, well, I don't know. And look, we know that's the case. I thought the same thing. I know you did too, Jerry. You're thinking, well... Maybe he'll hit the board. I don't know. I, you know, it just, it didn't look good. It just, no. and Smith is worried enough that he asked him a little and he got a response enough that he said, okay. And it wasn't like go make a move or anything, but he asked him a little just to make sure like, is this horse asleep or is he <laughs> not firing or what the hell? And yeah. so then when you, that's the thing about Smith and why, like I say, now he's going to ride him with even more confidence because and he didn't do this all late. By the time Messier gets up to Forbidden Kingdom, this guy is on there ready to pounce. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so now pick it up. But I, that, that it wasn't just this. And you're right, because I thought he might go right. He showed so much speed early. I thought he might go right to the front. Right, and, and even and with think, Forbidden Kingdom. Yeah. yeah, he could, and and, and frankly, he could have. I mean, I think he, you know, he he made that decision to say, kind of, okay, no, I'm not going to try to do that. But you can tell he had that, and I think that's what's going to be so critical about the break. Getting that position, you get to the first turn of the Derby, and all of a sudden, all these issues of the seasoning and things like that kind of go out the window. Where you're now, you've got maybe Classic Causeway and Messier or something, and him. And you're like, really? He's got to beat Messier in Classic Causeway? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and the only point I was making was, uh, further was, like, if if he would have, like, if you would have saw this back and forth, and he maybe he just noses out Messier, just as close. You, you can make the case say, well, Messier maybe gets him this time. Like, you, I think that's, that's definitely doable. That's right. He cruised by him. Well, that's like you saw it last night, Aaron. I mean, that's if you just keep going back and looking at that, it's awfully hard to pick Messi, quite honestly. Yep. Yep. Now you have to like block that out of your mind practically to do it. I mean, yep. and you have to just take this stand that the experience, you know, lack of experience is that you you have to take a stand against Taba in order to get the Messier. You can't do it for Messier over Taba. You have to go against Taba to get the Messi. Yep. yep. And I and here's another thing that worries me about Messi, honestly. I mean, you're talking about a horse that how in the world, I don't care where it's at, under what circumstances, he got beat by slow down Andy. Now <laughs> I, agree. You know, I agree. I mean, that's on there that his record. He he's not a horse that I I'll be honest, I think I can trust Taba more than Messier in the stretch. My biggest concern with Messier is when he gets headed, he he quits. See, it's the opposite of Taba. Yep, exactly opposite. It's the opposite. So, again, if you're going to have to pick between these two, which one of those two scenario, you know, profiles do you want? The one that gets headed and quits or the one that, like, charge will charge past you and keep going? I mean, it's not. 
this really isn't too complicated. I mean, the only thing about this derby is, like I say, I have more respect for these horses below than most derbies. You know, most of these, and the strikes point this out. So many horses have zero or one strikes. See, that, another reason I wouldn't throw Classic Causeway out, he's only got one strike. You know, uh, uh, Tawny Point has zero. I mean, it's another reason I'm on They're not even in the two strike. And I, I, not, it was hard for me to go, you know, this is one thing I didn't mention in the thing. It One of the things that made it hard for me to go back to Taba was the fact he's got two strikes. And, you know, how much of a lower percentage that is through the history of that. But I've only picked one horse since 1999 when I started this with more than one strike. And it was a horse called Justify. <laughs> and guess which two categories his two strikes were in? The same two categories as Taba. See, so I, I'm comfortable with, and that, it, it was harder for me to pick Justify with two strikes because I've never done that before. You know, to me, I'm really kind of going against my own research to do it. Mm -hmm. But I felt he had the talent again what we're talking about, that he was just too talented to not win that thing. And, and that was proven to be correct. And I think we're in the same situation. That's why I, listen, would I pick any other horse in this race with two strikes or more? No, never. Whoever they are, I mean, I'm sorry, because even these horses I'm giving you guys as live long shots, they're not two strike horses or, or, Look, like Happy Jack's four. <laughs> <laughs> Jared so, likes Happy Jack. Ethereal Robes four. He likes him too. <laughs> I know he was popular at the draft, those horses. <laughs> yeah, they're going to run big. Gonna run big. <laughs> but, right. you know, I'm saying that this is the and part of this is what we've just gone through here between us is like I say, going back to the days of in the motel we handicapped, where, you know, we, we might have a race where one guy likes a horse and another one likes a different horse, and then a couple of guys like the same horse, and you talk it through, and then it's like, he's right. Why would I not go with that horse, meaning Taba? He's right. got the figures, he's got the rider, he's got, the, I mean, you know, that, that yep. just chewing it back and forth, you know, like I say, Jared, it really, I had not thought about the fact that I, and it, that's not a minor deal to me. The fact now that Smith ha is more familiar with him and I love his post. I mean, mm. you know, I, this is a great opportunity. I mean, this is one of those that just rarely comes along. We're going to get some kind of good number, whatever it is, because it ain't five to two or three. It's not even going to be close. And look, I think it's great that we're all kind of on the same bandwagon here because we're, we're not like new, newcomers to this thing to be trying to find. I mean, really, I mean, it, it bolsters me that you both like it, quite honestly. And uh, I, I'm just more surprised, you know, People want the reason his morning line might not be too bad is because I'm not hearing a lot of talk about him. 
It's weird. I'm hearing a lot of talk about. I'm hearing more talk about Crown Pride <laughs> by far. <laughs> I mean, think of that, and that's true. There's been more talk about Crown Pride, and part of it is it's not Baffer. That is part of this pie too. You know, if it was Baffert, we didn't have the baggage, and he was going there and in the media, that this horse would be getting much more buzz, as you say, or whatever. Mm. That's helping the price. Whatever, that's not hurting us. That's helping us. You know, and like I say, you asked me, Aaron, about Yakteen. I've known him, you know, like I say, I was there. I was clocking horses with Whittingham, with Yakteen. Whittingham loved it when I'd stand there clocking. He loved my clocking. And... I always had to show first. And Whittingham especially liked my turf clocking because turf's very tricky to where they hit the poles and the, get the right fractions. And the minute, like, flawlessly would be through with her workout. What'd you get, White? <laughs> What'd you get? What'd you get? So 12 and 5, you know, 12 and 3, whatever. No, yeah, I mean, yeah, but he loved my clocking. And, and see... Uh, Tim was there for some of that. Rodney Rash was there for some of that. And uh, and then to be with Baffert, I mean, it's a tremendous, and I've said, talked about this with Tim. I mean, look at the guys that came up under Lucas. You know, you're kind of ingrained into that training. And it's not bad. I think Fletcher and these guys have done pretty well. But I think it's actually gives you a broader training base to have worked for someone like Whittingham, old school, and someone more new school like Baffert. You're kind of getting the most of both of those to pick and choose what you want to utilize. And Tim right. had that going for him, you know, because he, and he was with both guys a long time. So, I mean, he, and it's not like he's done that on his own. The worst thing that's hurt him training on his own, quite frankly, guys, but he doesn't get horses like Baffert does or, Cox or, you know, he does now. He is now. So we'll see what happens. But I'm not concerned. In other words, I'm more concerned about McPeak. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, honestly, if I can have a horse in the Kentucky Derby and it's McPeak, that worries me 10 times more than if it's Yakteen. I wouldn't sleep for a week if he was my pick. <laughs> well, but like I say, he is a better guy to pick at a price. So you guys have owned it, and I felt that way for like over 10 years. I still wouldn't sleep at night, though, if I had him picked on top. <laughs> no, that's, I mean, it's, well, look, at he started the year, everybody was smile happy and yeah. rattle and roll and this and that. And, you know, where are they now? Yeah. And who are we looking at? Chad Brown, <laughs> Steve Asmussen, and Baffert, basically. So there's mm -hmm. my four. Not McPeak, you know, and then you get down to Cox, you know, who certainly, I mean, that guy's proven himself. I mean, with my next goal last year to Central Quality, his, my two Cox horses won me the league, basically. Yeah. Yep. You know, that was the big key was both of those horses. Yep. I couldn't believe I got like a Central Quality with the number four pick. That was a shock on me. And then I was able to claim Nick's go, but I pulled the trigger before anybody could use a December 1st claim on that one. <laughs> this year, my first round draft is dead. Medina Spirit. <laughs> which shows you how things can turn around in this game in a hurry. Yeah. You know. But yeah. but on the other hand, I have two, the, you know, two live horses in the Derby and Simplification could hit the board. 
And I even have um, classic Gosway. I mean, I he probably you know he's probably not going to run a jet, but I'm telling you, I've seen these deals before to where that horse he's like two in front heading into the far turn for some reason. And even Tabor and Messi are setting off him or whatever, and everybody's just sitting back. Here's this classic Gosway just rolling along, singing a song, especially with Leperoux. If he if he were in that position with him. Because that guy's always got something left at the end. You know, he's like Eddie De La Husa used to be. Or, you know, he's one of those stretch. He, his style is to come from behind. So if he's in front going into the far turn, believe me, that can be dicey for those. You know, that in itself. Now, yep. I question with Leperu, and this could help Messier and Teva. You know, that guy's style is not, uh, you know, said. And they might be so worried about classic causeway getting the mile and a quarter that they might not like quarter horse it with him you know that would be so and plus that could get him more that could exacerbate your breathing problem if you have one so in other words i don't expect a hard send from classic causeway now he's got the natural speed but what see it wouldn't surprise me if classic causeway had a clear lead it wouldn't surprise me if he's vying for the lead but it wouldn't surprise me if he's off the I, and I think the one that could go to the leads, Messi. Yeah, especially with that rider, he's won back-to-back derbies doing that. And it's sort of like I got mm-hmm. another horse that that kind of could work. But here's the key: that just get Taba in that what we're talking about, just with, right off there somewhere, like he was. Just get him in that same spot as the Santa Anita Derby. Yep. All he needs a break and get get in position and you know the red like you said like from there it's like I always felt like that would Nick's go it's like you can t- like get him in a position and then after that it's like he's just gonna run his race and that's how I feel with Taba. I bet a thousand on him in the classic and then believe me I knew they hit the once yeah. Medina didn't go with them they hit the finish line the first time I went well this is like this is over I mean there mm-hmm. was no way. Once Medina did not, because that was, and this is what I mean about how tricky it gets with these pace deals. See, people just, they hone in on this and it got, everybody got locked into this. They're going to battle. They're going to battle. Oh yeah. You know, it doesn't always work that way. You know, that's, that's the thing that they don't run it on paper, you know, and they, they have the time form does the pace and all these guys do the pace. But do you think any of those pace guys had rock your world 10th early? <laughs> right. Right. No. Pace is in some respects harder to predict than the outcome of a race to me. That's why I don't get too down that rabbit hole. Because the thing about Taba, when we pick him, what whether the pace is fast or slow, whether he's on it or just off it, but now obviously if he's like way back for whatever reason, then you know. And listen, he's so talented, I wouldn't even rule that out completely. Like, if he was, like, 6th or 7th or something early, or even 10th, I, I would. if he is a superstar, he could pull... Look at Arrogate in the Dubai World Cup. How much would you bet on him five jumps out of the gate? <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing about that is, it cooked him. I'm convinced that that's oh, why... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he could be, he drilled Gunrunner that day, fair and square, more than fair and square, because he spotted Gunrunner a lot. And he didn't, it's another one of those, he didn't beat him a neck. 
he ran by him in that race like Cava ran by Messier. But that not that and traveling to me. And then Baffert kind of ran him back quicker than he wanted in the San Diego. I also don't think Delmar was his favorite track either. But you know, his post World Cup record, you know, and I've gotten flack from Baffert many times about how I don't uh, just say we got a guy at the door. <laughs> well, well, that was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect timing. Um, to that point, let's let's close. What do you say we close this off, huh? Probably a good idea. Yeah, I gotta yeah. get the, um, I gotta get to work. So let's. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hold on. He's. Oh, oh, what do you get? I don't know. Let's see. Oh, I don't know. Oh, what'd you get, John? John. Okay. Oh, the California Thoroughbred magazine. magazine. <laughs> That's what we got interrupted for, uh, dudes. <laughs> well, we decided that the the, the the doorbell saved the day there because we got to get work on the on the guide, and uh, I, that's what makes this great. What do what? I got to get to work on the Friday card. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. We all have our... Well, I I, I can I, I can definitely say. Yeah. Well, I could definitely say say. if we were at Matt Denny's, the guide would not get done and the Friday card might not get done. So thankfully we aren't for that reason. That is the truest statement made today so far. (laughs) It would be very late at night for all of us. But worth it. it. Yes. All right. Remember, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Go get the wagering guide right now. It's available uh, for pre-sale. It will be available by probably Wednesday, Wednesday night, Thursday at the latest. Of course, all the analysis from uh, from the entire team at RacingDudes.com. So make sure you go get that. Again, John, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back sometime, sometime probably, like probably like Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday live. Thursday live. We'll see how that goes. It's going to be, you know, we're, we're travel day Wednesday, Thursday. Let's you know, that's the plan. We'll probably do Thursday. We'll probably do a pod on Thursday for Friday's card, Friday for Saturday's card. But, you know, it just all depends on how much open bar we take advantage of on the <laughs> two true. days. Yes, yes. It's very true. All right, John, thanks Hi, for John. joining us. Take care, guys. I'm Jared Welch. He's Aaron Alterman. He's John White. Go table. <laughs> RacingDudes.com for all of your needs. RacingDudes.com for all of your leads. RacingDudes.com for all of your bets. RacingDudes.com as good as it gets. RacingDudes.com for all of your needs. RacingDudes.com for all of your leads. RacingDudes.com for all of your bets. RacingDudes.com as good as it gets. <laughs> this has been a presentation of RacingDudes.com. Your destination for all things horse racing and sports betting. Whether you want free winners, expert insider picks, up-to-the-minute trackside weather reports, or podcasts and videos for bettors of all skill levels, never make another wager without visiting the Racing Dudes 